This is Nikki Toyama Sito, the Executive Director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for this episode of 20 Minute Takes. This week, we speak with Pastor Linson Daniel. He's the pastor of a South Asian church in Texas, as well as one of the authors of the book, Learning Our Names. In this episode, we talk about the South Asian church in North America, as well as issues of calling and family and belonging. Come join us for this conversation. Linson Daniel, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nikki. You know, I have to admit that our production team was just a little bit confused when you came into the room because we thought we had booked Linson Thomas and then come to find that actually Linson Daniel shows up. So I understand that there's something of a <laughs> of a story behind your name. Do you mind sharing that with us? Oh, yeah, that, that's hilarious. Yeah, so um, a little bit about my name. Um, so, you know, with the South Asian um, world, um, especially those who are Malayali, so my my parents are from a state called Kerala, which is a very southern tip of India. One of the one of the most common things is you take on your dad's first name as your last name, so it's very common. So my dad's last my dad's first name is Thomas, and his his dad's name was Daniel. So he was Tom. Uh, so he was Thomas Daniel. And then so when I, I was born, they named me. You know, it was normal. So I was born here in the United States. Um, they don't know what the culture is in the United States. So, so he named me uh, Linson Thomas. And then so and then I'm in school in kindergarten or whatever. And, um, you know, I think it was like bring your parents to school day. And so they have their full name. So my dad has Thomas Daniel. My mom has Lily Thomas. And so it's also true. Once you get married, you take the first name as your last name. And there I am, Linton Thomas. And one of my friends says, oh, so, um, so, I mean, were your parents like divorced or are you adopted? And I was like, what are you, and, you know, and then as a conservative South Asian child, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, like, where'd you get that idea from? And, um, and I uh, realized, you know, it was because of our last name. So I quickly told my parents, they didn't know what was going on. My parents were like freaking out. So we literally went to the court, I want to say within like a week and got my mom's name. Yeah, my mom's name and my name changed. So I went from being Linton Thomas to taking on my dad's actual last name, Daniel, and I became Linton Thomas Daniel. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the, yeah, it was a, it was a, probably a cultural shock moment for my parents. And I remember my dad calling all his brothers and sisters, did oh, yeah. you know what they do here in the U.S.? <laughs> Hurry did up you and know change your last <laughs> Oh man, it was so funny. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, my name's got all kinds of wild stories connected. (laughs) It's the hazards of back to school night for a kindergartner. (laughs) Who would have known? There I was. (laughs) Court action. Wow. That's amazing. So I understand that you're a pastor at a South Asian church in Texas. And uh, can you tell me when you started pastoring that church? Oh my goodness. I started on March of 2020. A week or a, a week and a half or so before the pandemic hit. So, so it was a really funny running joke. Uh, they installed me as a pastor, and then the next week nobody came back. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so it was a wild, it was a wild season. So I, I've been a, I've been a local church pastor here for at this uh, church, uh, this uh, South Asian church for about two and a half years, and a lot of it has been during the pandemic. So yeah, and um, can you say a bit about what it's like to be pastoring during the pandemic? Uh, what it's been like to be pastoring an ethnic enclave church in this yeah. time? You know, um, you know, there are all kinds of stereotypes, you know, or, you know, about what it means to pastor an ethnic church. And, you know, and I, uh, I experienced some of that, you know, um, but, you know, really what I've learned is the rich stories and the, 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 the people of our church and the families and getting to know them, which uh, really does undermine a lot of those stereotypes. But one thing that everyone knows about these ethnic churches is community is so important. And the pandemic was really hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to follow Jesus by yourself in your house, maybe with just your immediate family and not with like the whole extended family and not, not being able to have your pastor come visit you and be at your house and be in your space and, you know, just being community break bread together. I think that took a, a big toll on our church. Yeah. And um, so we tried to do things on Zoom. I mean, we, we, we became Zoom experts. I think we all did, right? But nothing could really capture like singing together, especially in all the various languages and um, hearing the music. And, um, and then like when you preach, hearing the amens and the affirmations, all that was just so lost and being able to, you know, eat together, you know, was another huge loss. So, um, so yeah, the pandemic was hard. Um, and I think being a communal like church or, or, or expressing so much of our faith communally, I think the pandemic really was hard for us. Yeah. Wow. Now I know that you have had a pretty long career in uh, Christian ministry in various different contexts. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what you think is uh, the particular role or gift of either the South Asian church or these ethnic specific churches. Uh, why did you decide to, to jump in, in the mix there? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, in fact, um, I really enjoyed my time. I actually worked for InterVarsity before I came to the church and I really enjoyed my time with InterVarsity. In fact, you know, doing multi-ethnic work and getting a chance to, uh, kind of be in the laboratory to think about how to reach South Asian Americans, like getting to do that in tandem was just such a joy. But um, I just really felt God's call into the South Asian church, um, especially as I just watching um, what's going on with the church in America. Um, it's been really fascinating to see uh, ethnic churches, especially the Indian church. I can't speak for all churches, but the Indian church is experiencing kind of like a mini revival. Um, and it, in the pandemic, though it was so difficult and hard, um, it, it, it felt like a metaphor, like as the church felt buried um, underneath that uh, kind of like burgeoning or growing underground uh, without anyone really knowing the Indian church was coming to life. And, um, and we're seeing, um, you know, radical discipleship. We're seeing actually a huge return of the de-churched. We're seeing um, those that were felt lost, maybe in, in just FYI, Texas is home of like the mega church, you know, okay. there's okay. so many mega churches and, you know, a lot of South Asians were just kind of lost in the crowd and maybe lost hope in the South Asian church. But I think after the pandemic, there was a resurgence 
of people coming back to church, people we haven't seen in like years, you know? Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, the church is the right now um, probably the biggest it's ever been. You know, I would say both locally here and probably around the U.S. There's just a return back to the church. Um, and with that, your non-Christian friends who are wondering, what are you doing that's keeping you grounded? What's helping you feel settled? What's helping you feel connected? And the South Asian church is really filling that void. Um, in wow. this time. So I don't know if the spirit gave me like an inkling around that or God was giving me a feeling around that. But before that even happened, I just felt I got to move into this role. And, uh-huh. and now I'm, I'm really glad because I really want to be in the middle of some of these conversations. Um, about South Asians in America, South Asian Christians, South Asian American Christians. And I just feel like God kind of situated me here in this church for that. That's so interesting to hear about that dynamic, that return to church, because I feel like it's so different from what we hear going on in like a broader Christian landscape in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. And I've been feeling that a lot. And in fact, when when de church folks come back or like, you know, our parents are praying for uh-huh. quote unquote, a prodigal son or daughter. Uh-huh. And then they, uh-huh. they come back to church. I'm almost like, you know, my, it's like reverse evangelism. I'm almost like, why are you here? You know, like, <laughs> like what happened, you know? And, you know, and I think some of it has to do with the, the felt needs that were provoked uh, during the pandemic, during the, during the height of the pandemic. And, and there was a sense that, you know, if there was any idea that or any kind of thought that you could just follow Jesus on your own or you could just do podcast churching or yeah, just watching right. YouTube and kind of do that, it was almost like, well, then here it is. And then that's all it is and see what happens. And um, and then I just had some folks just tell me that no one ever checked in on them um, wow. ever. Yeah. And, isolation. And, yeah. And, uh, and then they would see like their friends who are plugged in say at our church and they, you know, they would be like, Hey, I got to go. I'm in a Bible study or Hey, my, my pastor zoom calling me. I got to, you know, they're all like, yeah. you know, and then there was this ache, you know, like, well, you know, no one in my church has kind of reached out or talked to me or, uh, or, it, or, or it confirmed that they were just lost in a, in a sea of people and say in the quote mega church down here. Um, so it was a mixture of things and there's a lot of felt needs. And I think, the beauty in that is the the rushing back to church is is not just for growth; it's for their development, their discipleship to see the Lord, you know, um, you know, really take more and more steps in in their life. So, yeah, yeah. So it's been fantastic. really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I appreciate that you're doing there, uh, particularly in this Indian church context, is you're reexamining what vocation looks like, um, and, and I I think too of uh, some of the Asian American experience with related to like ambition and that sort of a thing. Can you tell us a little bit of both your story, uh, but also some of the things that you're discovering that your Indian church context is in how is, is informing how you think about vocation? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, kind of in the background of that question and, and, you know, many of your listeners may or may not know this, but you know, immigration is like a huge part of the Asian American story. And, and my par- my parents immigrated due to the 1965, you know, Hart-Seller law. They were able to come to the country because they spoke in English and they were professionals. And that um, drove uh, 
like a desire for for like success in the country, at least in the Indian American um, point of view. And and you can see that everywhere. You can see it all, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, you can just kind of see that. I mean, so that's also seeped into the Indian American church, you know, and uh, and I would say to, for the most part, even a sense of ambition and success is connected to even like God looking down in favor of you or, uh-huh. you know, like oh, if you walk more. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. so I think uh, w- with my story, when I felt called to join InterVarsity staff, I uh, was doing exactly what I think the, an Indian American is supposed to do, you know, do well okay. in school, get into yeah. college. And, yeah. um, you know, I chose engineering. And, oh, nicely um, done. Nicely done. I oh, know. Thank uh-huh. you. See, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I tried. I tried to do well in the spelling bee, but didn't get far. No. <laughs> Much, Are you joking yeah, or know, did you really? I, I did. I did. I, I did. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah. So, but, you know, much to my parents' chagrin, I didn't make far. Make it far. But anyways, all that to say, um, I, after I kind of radically met the Lord and realized that my gift sets intersected with a sense of uh, vocational ministry, right? I remember telling my parents I wanted... I wanted to kind of switch out of engineering wow. and it was so hard for them. They just oh, yeah. could not imagine that I would do anything that would take away from upward mobility and oh, success. Right, right. And it just it didn't even match the ethos of the church to consider anything downward, you know, um, in their minds. Um, and the, in the, in the thing that's really weird about it, ironically, is they both love Jesus they, um, my, my grandfather's a pastor, uh, you know, and so there's just like, you know, and, uh, in the background, they had always told my brother and I, uh, one of you will, will probably go into ministry, you know? Exactly. So we've heard that our whole life. And now here yes. I am at the crossroads. I think that's me. I'm going to go into ministry. And they, there were so many idols and so many, uh, opinions and, uh-huh. um, maybe even theology that shaped all of that, you know? And so since they said no, I was obedient to them and not Uh to the call. Uh And I I didn't go into, into ministry, vocational ministry, but, Mm -hmm. but then God worked on my parents. There were some Mm -hmm. mountains that needed to be moved. And Mm -hmm. it was actually through my parents after Mm -hmm. maybe six years later that Mm -hmm. God used my parents to, uh, and they released me into ministry. Um, and so they were like, we're so sorry. It took six years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed being an engineer. I'm not going to lie. That was that was a really great experience, you know. Um, and I kind of forgot, forgot about it. Anyways, all that to say, my uh, because the Lord shaped my parents. My my parents were being discipled by mm-hmm. my vocational choices, which is wow, you know, yeah. So and right. so God changed their mind, and then God used them as a mouthpiece to call me back into ministry. Wow. What I didn't realize was, you know, like the same guy that had, you know, helped them immigrate to this country, maybe even shape my my background and in, in, in loving the Lord. And even to be an engineer is the same God mm. calling me out of engineering and they got to be a part of that story. Mm. And I often wondered why I kind of went the long route and did all that. But there's just something about that story that resonates in my current moment. When I speak that story, what I've heard parents now say is, at, even in our church, like, what? Wow, those were six years. Like, what could have, what, what would have God done in those six years? 
And I'm like, that's a question that haunts me and my parents always. And now there's something that's by hearing my story, watching me embodied now as their church pastor, um, they, they're like, you know, we don't, we don't want that for our kids. Like we want to talk about those things now. And I think what, what that's done is slowly shaped vocation. And then the other thing was to not idolize vocational ministry because some Mm. of them are really Mm -hmm. called to be doctors and engineers Mm -hmm. and no matter how cliche it might sound, but Mm -hmm. to be a witness, you know, like oftentimes when we meet Hindu and Muslim um, sisters and brothers in the, in the city, they would rather talk to another doctor than to talk to me. Interesting. Right. You know, they'd be like, Oh, well I have a Christian cardiologist on my floor. Like that shouldn't Uh be a surprise. They'd be like, Uh I would talk to the cardiologist before I talk to your pastor, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, you know, so vocation has started. I mean, it's not there yet. There's so much to unearth in my church, but I think God um, allowed our family to go through that story, a tough story Uh um, so that it would be helpful to others. Yeah. And contrast that for me a little bit of, um, our, our Western understandings of vocation mm. as usually an individualized call to an individual person and sort of a yes or no, kind of a binary. Um, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I hear, I hear other dynamics in there. Can you tell me a little bit of how that experience sort of stretched um, and, and pressed against some of these sort of cultural assumptions about yeah. uh, wow. vocation? Yeah. You know, that that's a really great question. You know, I never feel like as a South Asian American, I can ever make a decision where it's just solely based on myself. You know, there's a chorus, there's a chorus of voices, right? Um, welcomed and unwelcomed, <laughs> you know, ar- <laughs> ar- ar- around me, you know, yes. in, in, in all of these decisions. And what I've had to learn um, is how to hear the voice of God through some of those voices and then learn to quiet some of those voices because yes. it's not an individual decision ever. Yes. And and we've wrestled even with many of the second generation in our church, we've wrestled through that and we've learned to see moments like that as a gift um, and also to lament the things that are hard about it. And so, so, so by doing that, we really embrace that we make communal decisions. So and there's nothing we can't change that reality. It's part of who we are. So the gift is I'm never going to be really alone. Um, mm-hmm. We grieve the fact that it might take years before things <laughs> can really move and change, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other part of the yes/no binary is we live in a lot of maybe. Mm. You know, like one of the funniest things that uncles and aunties say at my church is I'm like, so I'll see you Saturday, and they'll say, yeah, we'll see, and I was like, what is it? <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> what, what does it mean? Who's going to see? Like me, you, God? I mean, like, who's, what does will see mean? It's neither a yes or a no. It's just like a maybe, you know, like everything's just a maybe. Um, and then like even being called into ministry, like, oh, so your son's going to go to seminary. That's amazing. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll see, you know, or God willing, you know, and um, there's a, there's just like a sense of just holding it as long yes. as we're together yeah. and before the Lord, just kind of going through it together. Yeah. And if yeah. God was going to change it or God were to speak or someone else felt something, we would be able to shift together through that. And that is not yes or no. I mean, that's just maybe, 
you know, together. You know? I mean, that yes, maybe is a whole theological <laughs> statement in and of itself, right? It's like walking through the world in the yes, yeah. maybe. <laughs> and there you go. That's exactly right. No wonder, no wonder we can remain in that tension. Is the kingdom here? Yes, maybe, and soon. Maybe. <laughs> all, all at the same time. <laughs> That's, I love it. I love it. Can you tell me a little bit about how um, you have seen uh, God interacting with your story and how does he show up? How does he heal or, or mm. redirect? And, and what does that look like to kind of live uh, in, in response to yeah. that reality of the Jesus who does interact with our own story? You know, one, um, I never feel like I fit in my church. Mm. Um, so as the, pastor, uh, is that right? as the pastor, yeah. So like I can, um, I'll just share one quick story about that. Super short. After preaching one Sunday, I went to one of our amatees, which is the name for a grandmother. And I, I, I just went to go greet her, you know, and, and there's several of them all sitting together. So I'm greeting all of them and I can tell they're like looking at me sweetly, but blankly. And so I have to try to speak our language, Malayalam, and mm-hmm. I'm really bad at it. Mm-hmm. And I try, and you can see all their eyes light up. And the first thing they say in our language is like, oh, my goodness, you're Malayali. Like they <laughs> didn't know I was the same ethnicity as them you know, all this time as I yeah. pastored, you know. And yeah. I remember we all giggled about that. But I walked away thinking like, whoa, they don't even know that I'm – South Indian or Kerala or Malayali American, I'm the same exact ethnicity as them. And then reverse, like I can be out in, in like my neighborhood, you know, and, you know, trying to be, you know, a witnessing person showing the love of Jesus. And I mean, I've had my neighbors just, you know, assume I was African American, you know, like they just don't even have an idea of what an Indian American is, you know, and I'm like, I don't even know if I can do ministry in my neighborhood. You know, yeah. like, yeah. so I can't do ministry necessarily in my church. I may not belong. And then there's a sense that if I wanted to do something, well, you know, I'll do something in America, quote unquote, among Americans. Even there, you may feel like you don't belong. And so there's an unsettling feeling where you're like, am I am I even able to do ministry in this liminal space, you know? Mm. But, mm. but I think that's the really neat discipleship moment that a South Asian American can step into where there is a glimmer of, of resonance with the South Asian community, both immigrant and American as they, as they are living here. But then there's an accessibility to the American church uh, at large, but, but not, not always do, do either or you know, accept you. And, and I think in that space, the Lord shapes you. It's, it's full of tension. It's full of questions, but the Lord is shaping you. Even if you're in a tough space, God could call you to lead you know, and, and lead out of those, those areas of, of tension, if, if that makes sense. Um, so that's one of the unique expressions of uh, being Indian American, uh, at least what I, I've experienced, you know, and that, that's really resonated a lot with my story because so many of my peers that are South Asian American don't serve in Indian church anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I just spoke at a conference this weekend for South Asian American church planters. Mm-hmm. I think I was the only one there that wow. was still in the Indian church, you know? And so you can feel alone in your calling, you know, to the immigrant church. And so, yeah, so it, it, you do feel lonely and you do feel some of that tension, but, you know, God's using that. And and I think as you hold that space, you find that 
people are really glad that someone's holding that space for them yes. and, and getting to experience their own stories and be like, oh, I feel the same way too, you know? Yes. And there's something beautiful about that, um, making room for all kinds of folks to uh, come to the table. Linson Daniel, pastor and author of Learning Our Names. Thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. We're really grateful uh, for the gift that you are uh, to the Indian church community and then also the gift that you are to us here on this podcast. Thanks, Nikki. Really glad to be here. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at christiansforsocialaction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends. <laughs>